All right, Genesis chapter 6. That's right, flying through Genesis. Can you believe we've only been in Genesis since like March or something? I mean, good grief, and we're already at chapter 6. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. Let me stop there for a moment, and we'll continue in a moment. But that's a fun little few verses. <laughs> this morning, I think we're going to find we're going to go through the all eight or through eight verses of chapter six. But I think this morning, uh, one of the things that kind of struck me as I was preparing this message and reading through this is I think there's three shocking kind of truths, three shocking realities that are drawn out. Now, again, uh, you know, I encourage us to. Uh, to try to put ourselves as if we're reading this for the first time, right? I mean, again, we as New Testament Christians, and it's okay to do this, but we so often just kind of, we read our experiences today back into the text. And that's, that's good. Like we want to recognize that Jesus, right? You know, that's why the Old Testament was written. You know, we need to read Jesus into the Old Testament text. We need to do that. But I, I think there's so much value when we allow the story to unfold in our lives in real time right? As we read it and to not just, you know, automatically jump and go, oh yeah, well, this makes sense. Chapter six. No, it doesn't make sense. Not just these first, you know, few verses, but the whole thing is actually quite shocking. If you look at what's come before it. And the first thing that we notice that I think is shocking here is the depravity of man. And I, I know I preached on depravity before, and we're not going to go back there again. But we, when you think about where we came from in the garden in chapter 1, and the first sin that happened in chapter 3, and then in chapter 4, we have the murder, the first murder by Cain. And then you get some genealogies. That's great. And then not too many generations down the line, the Lord looks across what he sees of all of humanity, and all he sees is sin and evilness. It's just ugly. And I think the point of these first five verses, four verses, to not get hung up on what is the Nephilim and all of that, is just simply to, I think this points out this reality, that sin is just not just on earth. That sin has even infiltrated the spiritual realm as well. And we see everything, all of creation, has now been tainted and corrupted by sin. All of it. There's not a, there's not a corner where you can find uh, something that's perfect still. Something that's the way it was created to be. The physical and the spiritual world have all been corrupted there's nothing but rebellion and selfishness and pride throughout the entire creation. This is shocking in such a short period of time. I mean, even the generations, like, I mean, how could it go that bad that fast? And it points out, of course, the 
amazing destructive power of sin. One little sin by Adam and Eve in the garden. And it leads to all this. Every intention, it goes on here in a moment, I'll read this verse in a moment. Every intention of their heart was evil continually is what it says. Hmm. The truth is, of course, we know this to be true now, that every humanity, every human is depraved. Sin has infiltrated our life. It's infiltrated our relationships and infiltrated our world. Jeremiah 17, 9, right? Even our hearts are desperately wicked. And that everything that we try to do is even sinful and wrong. Sin indeed corrupts every aspect of our life and our world. Verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intentions of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. It grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. Shock number two. The God who just a few chapters earlier created all of this regrets, is sorry. As he looks across creation and he sees the evilness, the sinfulness, the rebellion, the selfishness. There's sorrow. He's saddened. Now we have to be careful with this because this actually pushes into some perspectives of God that I think are inaccurate. You know, if God's sorry, does that mean he's admitting that he's made a mistake? Oh, man, I shouldn't have done this. What did I? Ah, why didn't I make it different? Why didn't I, you know, just keep that sin stuff? Why did I have to put that tree in the garden? Turn it. Shoot. <laughs> no, this is not God. Genesis 1.31, after God had created everything he had made, including the last, the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman in his image, what is his words? And it was very good. He doesn't, he doesn't regret creating. He didn't make a mistake. He's not admitting that he made a mistake here. He regrets that his creation has made these choices. It saddens his heart. God's not surprised by this, just like he wasn't surprised by Adam and Eve's sin. It wasn't like he, like, whoa, where did that come from? I didn't, knew, didn't know that was going to happen. No, it, God knew that he was going to get to this point in creation. He knows everything. 
So this is not an admission either that he was, or, or an expression of surprise here. I can't believe what happened. Oh my gosh. No, again, God is saddened. Not just by the choice, but he's saddened by the suffering that he's seeing his people endure because of their choice. He's got the sorrow of a father. Great passage in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing. This is a father in Genesis 6 who's saddened by the choices of his children. Those in the room who are parents probably have experienced some of that sorrow. I know uh, my son... Both, I had two out of, I had three kids. Two out of the three kids, we had the, you know, the battle of wills moment. I don't know if you as parents have experienced that. Or that's how I describe it. It's a battle of wills. Um, and when the battle of wills come, you know, it's, I, you know, again, this is just my, my experience. So maybe you're very different. But I, I had certain unique, you know, parenting techniques. But anyway, um, so... Uh, when the battle of wills come, you know, comes, you just feel like you know, that's the battle that you, you can't lose, right? Um, there's a lot of battles you can lose, in my opinion, as a parent, and it's okay. You know, it's like you always have to choose your battles, right? But the battle of wills is one that you've got to win. So my son is um, two years old, so he gets picked on today. Um, so my son is like two years old, maybe three, two, two to three. Uh, probably two, I think, because he's still like in a crib, you know, kind of thing, right? But he's too big for the crib. But, you know, he's just, he's just uh, that's where he's at, right? Um, and so one night we have some friends over. And it's always great when these happen with friends right over, right? You know, that's, that's usually when it happens. So we have friends over, and it's time for, them, you know, the boy to go to bed. So, you know, I take the boy, and we put him in bed, and like, good night, you know. And he, you know, usually is not too bad about going to bed. But anyway, we're downstairs, and we're, you know, talking and having a good time or whatever. And all of a sudden, son comes down the stairs. I'm like, mm, what are you doing? You know, he's like, you know, he crawled out of bed, and he came downstairs. And he, oh, hey, I just want to hang out with you guys. I'm like, nah, no, you can't hang out with us. And so I take him back up bed, put him in bed, say, hey, stay in bed. You know, you got to stay, right? And of course, yeah, that's not working, right? So come back downstairs and, you know, like literally five minutes later, he's back down the stairs again. And like, what is going on? So, you know, take him back up. No, you stay in, you know, kind of thing, right? And just, so this goes on for an hour. And it, it you know, at first, I, I, I was frustrated and angry at my son for misbehaving, especially in front of my friends. Um, but after about 15 or 20 minutes of this, again, I realized, oh my gosh, this is the battle of the wills. We've got we've to win this battle. And it's not against me. It's not about me, right? This is about the wills, right? And, and after that, I, it just, my tone changed. I, I, I wasn't angry anymore. I realized this, my son was being dragged out of that bed by something that wasn't necessarily him, that there was this will that he had and it needed to be tamed. But every time he came down and he it got to the point, he's bawling as he walks down the stairs, literally bawling, 
gets down the stairs, and I'm like, son, you need to go to bed and take it. And, 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 but my heart, your heart begins to break because you realize the pain this poor child is enduring right now and you did, because of their choice. Would you just, no, you just got to make, just stay in the bed and then this is over. We're done. This, we don't have to keep doing this. And, and I think this is our father, right? You know, that he sees us make these decisions over and over again and his heart breaks he still disciplines us. There's still consequences for those sins. And he sees us suffering as a result. And he's saddened. Just give up. Just stop. Just choose to surrender. Another maybe example of this as well is, you know, have you ever done something great for your kid? <laughs> and you're super excited about what you're going to get. They get to experience, like go to Disneyland or something. And then you get to Disneyland and, and like, uh, you know, halfway or a quarter of the way through the day, all of a sudden they just freak out and they're having a bad day. And you've got to take them back to the hotel or back home or whatever. And you're just saddened that you, you thought this was going to be great, that they're going to have so much fun. We're so excited as a parent to bless our kids like that. And then to see them, you know, kind of ruin it all. And you go, oh. And so you take them home and you know you have to. But at the same time, you're just sad because they're missing out. This is the God that we have, and this is the God of Genesis. This is the type of regret that he is experiencing here. This is the kind of sorrow. This is why he's sorry. He's not sorry that we're his children. He's sorry for what we're enduring because of our own poor choices. Back to Genesis chapter 6. One verse left that I didn't read. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Shock number three. Okay, I mean, the first two are a shock of where we've come, right? We're, we're shocked that, you know, okay, wait a second. God made this thing perfect. How did it get destroyed so quickly by sin? The second shock is a little bit, wait a sec. God's like, he's really like, he's upset by this. He's saddened by this. This is, he's real, this is not good. And, and, and there's a righteous anger there. I, you know, what's he say before that? Like, I, I'm going to wipe it out. Like, I, we're going to destroy. I will blot out man whom I have created, and rightly so. From the face of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of the heavens, he's going to wipe it out, right? Because of the, you know, he needs to discipline. This is the battle of the wills. He's got to win this battle. So you would think the next line is, and he did it, like, and he flooded the earth and wiped them all out and started over from scratch or decided, yeah, that was, that was a fun game, but no, nah, that's not working. I'm not doing that. You know, it, it, that's, that's the expectation, right? The next step is, okay, God's sorry. He's mad. He's holy. He's amazing. He's powerful. He's righteous. He's, you know, going to do what he does. But Noah, what? In the time of God's sorrow, in the time of God's regret, in the time of God's anger, in the time of our depravity, God does not desert humanity. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't you? 
I mean, right? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, that's how we would think. I'm done with this. They've rebelled enough. I've tried. I've given them everything. We certainly, as parents, get to that all the time. I think we have, you know, those kids, right? Those, that one kid sometimes that stretches us, that pulls us, that makes us oh, just crazy. God does not desert humanity. Instead, he draws close. Our sin doesn't repel God. It actually draws him. The thought I had is, is like, you know, Jesus, in essence, is, is like a moth to a flame. When he sees someone in sin, he can't help but go to them because he's a savior by character. I mean, that's who he is. By nature, he's a savior. And when he sees someone lost, he wants to save them. This is unbelievable that the world is completely depraved. The world is the, every intention of their mind and their heart and is, is evil. And God doesn't just scrap it all. He finds Noah. <laughs> What's unbelievable about this is that Noah is by no means perfect. You know, we kind of get this maybe image of him. Oh, Noah, I mean, he's the one holy man who's walking around the world. Look at him. Oh, no wonder God saw him. Look at his huge head. You know, I mean, it's like this, it's crazy, right? You know, like this is the image of God, of Noah that we have, but it's not true. Noah actually, I think, is just as evil and depraved as everyone else. If there's anything that sets Noah apart from the rest, is that when God called, he bowed his knee to him as Lord. I mean, look at Noah later, after the flood, right? <laughs> Chapter 9. After the flood, they get out of the boat. What's Noah do? First thing, you know, this is the holy man, right? This is the guy that everybody looks up to. Oh, my gosh, he's so amazing, right? No, what you do, he gets, like, parties and gets drunk and is, like, wiped out, like, naked in his tent. Like, that doesn't seem like a holy man to me. I know maybe he went just crazy on the boat for, you know. I think the only thing that really sets Noah apart is simply that he was humble enough to recognize his own depravity. When God called, he said, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm messed up. It is not because of Noah's perfection or goodness or holiness in any way that caused God to choose Noah. It was by the grace of God that God chose Noah. It is, his, it is God's love for humanity that motivates him to work with humanity. But here's the amazing thing. He didn't save Noah just for Noah's sake. It wasn't just for Noah. Matter of fact, God wanted to save more, but no one would listen. 
No one else would bow their knee. No one else would recognize their own depravity. But consider all of us in this room right now. God worked through Noah to save Noah, yes, but also to save all of us. God is still sorry. God is still filled with sorrow. You know, sometimes we look around maybe our world, and maybe very few of us nowadays, but, uh, you know, we can look around the world and think, oh, you know, we're pretty good. You know, the world's pretty good shape, you know. But, you know, or think, you know, oh, wow, you know, I mean, like Noah's day must have been really, really depraved. I mean, uh, can you imagine? It must have been really ugly if God was so angry that he was going to flood, that he flooded the whole earth. I mean, he must, I mean, he must have been really bad. I mean, we couldn't be that bad, could we? Oh, my gosh. Right? I mean, are we any better? Maybe worse. I don't think we have anything over the days of Noah think there is still tons of corruption and sin has infiltrated and depraved every one of us and it saddens God's heart sometimes personally we can think that we are good I'm amazed by this I do it myself all the time and I'm sure you're tempted by the same thing oh man that was a great sermon John you killed it today Woo! No, I don't say that very often but it's all right <laughs> Right? I mean, we can look at what we've done and we're like, wow, you know, look at what I, this is, oh man, I'm so good. You know what? I've got such a great personality. People just love me. It's just awesome. I am so good. Right? Oh, I, I just, I'm so generous. I can't believe I gave all that money and sacrificed so many things. I'm just so good. Right? We, we can look at ourselves and really begin to kind of build that up and think that, you know, we're great. That we're actually pretty good people, especially as Christians. That we, you know, because we know Jesus, we're doing things, you know, for the right reasons. You know, I just want to do something great for Jesus. We think that it's, that makes what we do is good. But you know what? Our motives are just as important as our actions. Right? Isaiah 64, 6. Even our good deeds are like filthy rags. Why? Why is that true? We're doing good things, right? I mean, we can look around our world and we can see, like, there's some, there's some good things that happen in our world. People are doing good things, right? Reaching out to the homeless, caring for people, you know, immigrants, you know, making sure, you know, sharing the gospel, but also, you know, making sure that we care for their needs. I mean, there's a lot of good things that we do out there. Why is that filthy rags? It's because it is not done for the glory of God. You see, our motives for why we do things determines whether that thing is actually good or not. And we as Christians fall into the same trap as the rest of the world. See, the rest of the world cannot do righteousness because they do not know Jesus. But we as Jesus followers, we know Jesus, but we can still do unrighteousness. We can still sin even though it looks like what we're doing on the outside is good and righteous. And the way that we do that is because our motives aren't right. We're doing it for our own glory. We're doing it to make ourselves look good. We're doing it because it makes me feel good. Now, that's not horrible, but what makes you feel good? Glorifying God? Okay, now we can talk. 
Glorifying myself? Ah, that's a problem. So we need to recognize that the only way we can do good things is when we have Jesus as our focus. When he's the one we are seeking to exalt and to glorify and to prove, our, not prove, but to show our love to him and to love those that he's put around us. Many things are, uh, good things are done, but not to love Jesus. Many good things are done for Jesus, especially in the church, but not with Jesus. Many good things we get the credit for, but not Jesus. You recognize what's wrong. All of those good things are sin. Unless we're doing it for the love of Jesus, unless we're doing it with Jesus, unless we're doing it and giving thanks to Jesus when it's done. Having a grateful heart. Genesis 2.20, right? It is Christ in me, Right? Jesus who lives in me. That's Christ who lives in me. This is, we are only righteous when we live out that salvation or that, that, that real, our lives in Christ. So God is still sorry because the world is still filled with sin, but God is also still drawn. He's drawn to the world in their sin. John three seventeen. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. God is still pursuing his children. He's still deeply saddened by our sin, our total depravity, but he's also still pursuing us. He's still calling us. He's still striving to save the world through Jesus, and he's still, still doing that through individuals, not just for that individual's sake. God is calling you. Whether you've already made the step into salvation or not, he's still calling you to follow him. To bow your knee to him as Lord and do what he says, do what he calls us to, even outside of our comfort zones. But he does that not just for our sake. You see, there's a whole lot of people groups in our world in our homes, that's a people group. Where we work, that's a people group. In our neighborhoods, that's a people group. In our families, that's a people All of these people groups, God is seeking to bless the whole world. Just like we'll get to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He blesses Abraham so that he can bless the whole world. He wants to bless you so that he can bless your people group. To recognize that God is calling you. Because he loves you, not because you're great, not because you're perfect, not because you did all these great things for Jesus, but he called you because he loves you, and he wants to bless you, and he wants to bless the people in your world. The question is, are you hearing the call of Jesus? In my life, uh, Luke 12, 48 is a challenging verse for me, but it's kind of in some sense a life verse as well because I feel like I have been blessed beyond measure in my life and I do not understand why. Luke 12, 48 simply says, but the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. 
when God blesses us, that's meant to be passed on. It's meant to be shared. It's meant to be given away. And we who have been blessed much, we have much to give away. Not a threat. It's just a reality. But also a part of that calling is, because you know, when we hear from Jesus, the question is, are we humble by that? Or do we think, yeah, yeah, well, hey, hey yo, what's up, Jesus? About time you called. I was expecting you to call pretty soon. <laughs> Saw the world's kind of getting messed up, so thought you needed some help, and I'm here for you. <laughs> or do you recognize the depth of your sin, and are you really shocked that he's called you? The reason we started with Luke 7, 47, and this woman who was in sin who came and wept on Jesus' feet and anointed his feet. And then Jesus says, the one who's forgiven much loves much. We should not look at that woman and think, oh, wow, she was really ugly. She was really bad. She was really sinful. We, she was way, way, way more sinful than I am. Just like we shouldn't look back at Noah's days and say, wow, they were really evil and ugly people and really, really evil. I mean, God was going to wipe them out with a flood. No, we all are evil. And so when God hauls, it's not just being able to hear it. It's also about being humble enough to be shocked by it. All right, worship team, why don't you come up? Have you ever felt like Noah? You ever been surprised? Like, really, like, really, God? You, me? You're, you're calling me? You know, sometimes that's, sometimes that's, you know, frustration with God. No, 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 God, someone else, anybody but me, right? Sure, there's a little bit of that with Panama. And no, no, we're pretty comfortable here. This is good. I, I'm, I'm. But, but are you really shocked? Do you recognize your own sin? And, and do you recognize that his amazing grace that he's chose to pick you, to bless you, but also to bless the people around you? you've been blessed much, then you've got much to give. And if you've been forgiven much, you've got a lot to love. You know, I wonder sometimes, um, I, I've been shocked how in my life, the love that I've experienced, not just, you know, you think about this with your wife or your spouse, right? You, you kind of develop that love and it comes deeper and deeper over the years. But I found that same thing to be true with God. And it's so often the deeper that love grows is it usually has to do with me revealing him revealing how ugly I am. And I go, why do you love me? <laughs> this makes no sense, but you do. How do you use me, God? I'm a blubbering idiot sometimes, maybe a lot of times. How, how, right? This, this doesn't make sense to me, God. So I wonder if, if you struggle with really loving God and, and 
feeling like that connection is there. Whether or not you've really recognized your own depravity. And so I, I just encourage you this morning, you know, to explore that with the Lord. Take some time to, to ask the Lord to deepen your love for him. You guys, it, there's nothing better. I'm, I, I get blown away over and over again by God. He is so much, he is so much better than this world has to offer. Young people, don't buy into the world's bag of baloney. Jesus is where it's at. You will not have a greater adventure in your life than to follow Jesus. You will not be more blessed. You will never experience greater joy, peace. It's Jesus. Because he's the one who truly loves you. It's not going to look like what the world says. And we'll get into that next week when God tells Noah to build an ark. Excuse me? But there's no greater spot than to be right in the will of Jesus, knowing that you don't deserve it, but overjoyed that he chose you. Heavenly Father, I ask you to speak our name this morning. Every individual in this room and watching online, wherever they may be, Lord, I, we need to hear you speak our name. Not for our glory, but for yours, Lord. And there's some in here that we've, we've heard it before. You've come and you've spoken to our hearts. You've reached out to us. You loved us. And if we certainly are in the kingdom of God, if we bowed our knee to Jesus, Lord, we've heard you call. But there's some here that have never heard that call, never heard you speak their name. Lord, it's true that you will leave the 99 to go find that one. You know the name of that one. It's not just a number in your mind. It's an individual. It's a real person. It's someone you created with a beautiful plan for their life. And they have rejected you to this point. But that doesn't repel you. You keep pursuing, Lord. So this morning, if there's anyone in this room that has not heard you speak their name, Lord, speak it again to them. Help them to hear it this morning. Lord, for the rest of us, we need to hear it again. Perhaps more than ever in this time, in this world that we're in, where everything is chaotic, where relationships are broken more than ever, there's divisions everywhere, there's tension everywhere. The world is unknown. We don't know what's coming, what's going. But we need you to speak our name again. Not just for our sake, but for our family's sake for our neighborhood's sake, our city's sake. Lord, speak. We're ready. We're ready to bow our knee when you do. We're ready to be surprised, to be shocked that you would speak my name. And then do whatever you call us to. Whatever it is, no matter how crazy. Ezekiel 34.
For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravens and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I will make them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. And I will send down the showers of their, in their seasons and they shall be showers of blessings. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit and the earth shall yield an increase and they shall be secure in their land and they shall know that I am the Lord. When I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from that, the hand of those who enslaved them, they shall no more be a prey to the nations, nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. I will provide of them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have heard the voice of the Lord this morning, call your name. Or if you need to hear the voice of the Lord call you, We've got prayer folks up here that would love to spend time with you and just pray. So come up. God bless you guys. Have a great day. Oh.